Hey everyone. So look who just woke up to join us. I hope she's in the mood to learn a little bit. Today I'd like to talk a bit about the Templars. You might know that I've been to London somewhat recently and also to Paris and I noticed that in both cities there are underground stations called Temple or Temple and I was wondering whether that was coincidence or was there a common story behind it and there is a story to these two places by starts a long long time ago in the Middle Ages So we have here the Epsdorf map, a Mappa Mundi, a map of the world of the 13th century. And the first time I looked at it, I thought it was pretty confusing. I couldn't pick out any landmark that I knew. I couldn't even tell which way was north. Now, if this was a bit of a bigger print, we might be able to read some of the details here. The original map is three and a half by three and a half meters or 12 by 12 feet. So this is a very small print. Or technically, I should say the original map was that big. Unfortunately, it was destroyed during the Second World War. There are some copies and photos of it, so we have a good idea what it looked like. The only thing that I was able to read is right here, this little heart-shaped island. It says Sicily. So... The water here is probably the Mediterranean. That makes this part Europe, this part would be Africa, and up here we have Asia. So meaning what we think of as north on the top of the map is actually east. It's where the light comes from, which is represented here with Jesus. And there's a cute detail here. So we have the head of Jesus on top of the map. We have his feet down here, around Portugal. And one hand stretching out to the Arctic and one hand over here and I'm pretty sure this is a representation of hell. So what we have on here is not just 
actual places that exist in our world, but also mythical places from the Bible and uh, Christian faith. There's hell. Up here there's the Garden of Eden. And the really fascinating part here is this is a Western European Christian map and normally you would assume that you put your own region at the center of a map so that it's easy to find. But we have Western Europe down here. So a little squashed in the corner. And instead what this map puts at the center, and that was pretty common, was what was considered to be the most important place, a place where the world that we inhibit and the world of our religion became one. And that's right here in Jerusalem. So the entire world is centered around Jerusalem, the holy city. However, Jerusalem was under Muslim rule and it had been for a while, since the 7th century in fact, so quite a long time. And the idea of reconquering the city of uh, doing some kind of crusade had been going around for just as long. It wasn't so until the Middle Ages, the 11th century, that this actually happened. At the time, the Byzantine Empire was under a lot of pressure. The Seljuks were moving into Asia Minor and the Byzantine Empire really had some trouble. So the Emperor reached out to the Pope Urban II to ask for help. And the thing is at the time this was a really big deal. You have to remember we are around the year 1100 and just five decades earlier the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church had split the big schism of Christianity. Uh, there was some wild excommunication going on at the time in both directions. And people really weren't on good terms. So the fact that the Byzantine Emperor reached out and even offered to reunite two churches tells you just how dire the situation was for him. The Pope thought about it for a bit and then initiated the First Crusade in 1096. Crusade means that it was considered to be a just war that was wanted by God. And the idea was really popular at the time. So popular in fact that the First Crusade wasn't actually the first one before the knights and trained men arrived. There were a hundred thousand people who had just started walking towards Asia Minor. Um, often uh, farmers, 
you know, people who had lived a simple life. Uh, they even took women and children with them and were ready to fight for the promise that the church had made them. It wasn't really um, a welcome sight in Constantinople at the time and the People's Crusade, as it's called, also caused a lot of violence across Europe and there was a lot of violence against Jewish communities in the different cities that they moved through. So, from the beginning, a bit of a, um, a cruel story. And the People's Crusade, in fact, came to a rather quick end, as you can imagine, when you have a lot of untrained people. The actual crusade, though, was successful. They arrived in Jerusalem and in 1099 had successfully besieged and taken it. And four crusader states were created. The Kingdom of Jerusalem, the County of Edessa, the Principality of Antioch, and the County of Tripoli. And the thing is, once the crusade was successful, a lot of the crusaders moved back home to Europe. And only a few stayed behind. But you now had these uh, states that you had to run. So they did need more people who went to defend the country, to protect pilgrims, and just to sort of upkeep the whole thing. And since the Muslim population was exempt from any kind of military service, a new solution was found. They created a military order, and that was the Order of the Templars Knights. The Templars Knights got their name from the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, where they had their headquarter. Initially, they were supposed to be an order of poverty. So when an initiate became a Templar, he had to take the vows of piety, chastity, poverty and obedience. Obedience specifically also to the Grand Master. You probably know what the Templars look like. It's a, a very famous look, a white mantle with a red cross. And it's pretty popular in pop culture as well. You might have played Assassin's Creed, where it turns up. Or maybe you've read a book like this one, Focus Pendulum, Umberto Eco. Or I think the Templars also turn up in some Dan Brown fiction. The thing with poverty, though, is that they started off as a poor order. So there's a famous image of them where two Templars ride on the same horse, which kind of gives you the idea that they couldn't afford more horses. They had to share one. But it changed pretty quickly. It didn't take long, and the Templars own land 
all across Europe, such as here in Paris, which is today in the third arrondissement. You can see here they had a church. These churches were usually also called Temple Church. Then you had the Palais du Grand Prieur, the palace of the Grand Master. While initially the Grand Master remained in Jerusalem, the Crusader states didn't last for a very long time. And when eventually they fell, the Grand Master moved to Paris and stayed here. We also have a donjon here, which is a tower. Now, as you can see, there's nothing left of these three buildings. You have different buildings built on top of it, such as the Mairie de Troisième Arrondissement, so the town hall. Over here we have a garden from the 19th century. And this wall around the temple district is gone as well. So what happened? Jerusalem was definitely lost by 1244. There was a lot of infighting between the Christian states beforehand, which weakened them, and the whole thing eventually just ended. This Outremer, the other side of the sea, didn't exist anymore. And the question is, what do you do then? with an order that's extremely rich, that has lands, vineyards, farms, all across Europe, not just in the Holy Land. An order that also developed an early form of banking and they developed something like a traveler's check. So they were really proficient in that regard. And they had a standing army. They were not bound to any state. They could move as they wanted, they didn't have to stop at any border. So they were bound by a king, for example. And as you can imagine, if you are a king, that sounds kind of dangerous. An order that has a lot of power, is very close to the church, and has a standing army. So the French king at the time, Philip IV, didn't like it at all. And he decided eventually that he would arrest the Templars. This happened on the 13th of October 1307. And it's pretty impressive. Uh, he did this across all of his lands. So this was really coordinated, it was kept secret, none of the Templars heard about it beforehand, and they were all arrested. It came to a trial where they were accused of sodomy, worship of idols, of heretics. But the trial never came to an end. The Pope decided to dissolve the order eventually and all of their possessions went to a different order, the Knights Hospitaller, which you might also know as the Maltese order 
they split after a while, but that's a different story. The French king had hoped to get some of the possessions of the French temples in particular. It was said that here in the tower, they kept their gold and treasure, but nothing was found. You might also have heard of the last uh, Grand Master of the Templars, which was Jacques de Maurier. He was burnt at the stake in Paris, and close to Notre Dame you can actually find a plaque that commemorates him. And if you've read any of the popular fiction about the Templars, you might know that he initially confessed, but then later revoked his confession and for that he was burnt. Generally, when we talk about things like, you know, being, they were accused of sodomy, worship of idols, things like that, the fact why they were arrested and why the order was dissolved probably really had a lot more to do with power. But the thing is also that as they lived um, in Outremer, in these crusader states, they probably took on a lot of local costumes, they became so very relaxed around other faiths and in Europe, which was very far from, from the Holy Land, they might have looked a bit suspicious. So they might have added to these accusations. Right, but what happened here after the order was dissolved? So this area was still used by the Knights Hospitaller up until the 18th century. We can see the tower over here, the donjon, and it doesn't look like a particularly inviting building, does it? In fact, during the French Revolution it was used as a prison and the king at the time, Louis XVI, and also Marie Antoinette were held there. After the French Revolution, it became a bit of a thing with monarchists, so it was dissolved. So it was torn down eventually, so people wouldn't get any uh, wrong ideas. Between the Middle Ages and the French Revolution, though, this area kept growing. A lot of people moved in from all kinds of social backgrounds. There were some privileges still dating from the medieval times that persisted, such as freedom of guilt and church asylum. So you had friars living there, but also free merchants, tradesmen, nobles, lots of citizens seeking protection. It was a very mixed group, and in Paris, this area had quite a bad reputation, so that might also have added to the decision to tear it down. Like I said, today there's nothing left of it, but we do still have the names. There's the Rue du Temple, and also Rue Vieille du Temple. And this garden here, like I said, that's from the 19th century and was created by Usman, who you might have heard of, a really, really influential person. The look that Paris has 
When you think of Paris, that is um, thanks to Osman. So he left his mark here as well. All right, but we also mentioned London in the beginning, so let's have a look at London. probably remember this map from the video on Elizabethan London. So we're out of the Middle Ages here on this particular map, but that's alright, don't worry about it. Because we have here the temple along the river Thames gate here and we can move up to Temple Bar. This part here is Fleet Street and this here is what would become Temple, so the area called Temple. It took me a really long time to figure out where the church is because if you look at it for example on Google Earth the temple church really stands out because it's round, which was typical for temple churches. The temples often built like this. It's a style that they saw in the Holy Land and took with them. But you can't really see any round uh, building here. I guess they just didn't uh, add it in that detail. But basically we have it roughly here. And then um, later there was a chancel added to the right, which is a rectangular building. So it's the nave, which is round, and the chancel, which is rectangular. There's also quite a large garden here, which I don't think exists today in that form, but you do find gardens here. And the area is called Inner Temple and Middle Temple. And you might have heard of that um, if you're into like law or things like that. Inner and Middle Temple are the names of two inns of court. So those are associations of barristers, which is a type of lawyer in the UK. So very, very important in that regard. And you might wonder if there's an inner temple and a middle temple. Is there also an outer temple? There was, but it's no used anymore. Basically, the thing is, at the time, we have here at Temple Bar, you moved into the city here in this direction. And the part that was outside of the city was called outer temple. It's just a term that isn't in use anymore. Only inner and middle, middle temple were preserved. 
The church is from the 12th century and there was also a master of the temple here in London again very important figure even if he wasn't the grandmaster of the entire order he also had for example a place in parliament and if the pope sent someone to london they would often stay here at temple and like i said temple bar was an important uh, mark when you moved into the city it's first mentioned in 1293 and at the time was probably just like a chain or some kind of bar between two posts but later they built sort of this beautiful gateway in baroque architecture you can't find it here anymore it's been moved but it has been preserved and is now near saint paul's when the order was dissolved it was pretty much the same story as in paris the possessions of the order fell to the Knights Hospitaller and they gave them then to um, the barristers eventually so that the Inns of Corda here has a really really long history as well this is not something recent and again the names have been preserved so you have Temple, you have the Temple Station which, if I remember correctly, should be along the Thames. So, of course, a lot of things have changed here. And if you're interested in the story of the Templars and you want to read a bit more about the trial, for example, I'm sure you have plenty of options. Uh, a lot has been written about them. But, like I said, I really enjoyed this book here. Admittedly, it can be a bit dry at times. But the story of the Templars is narrated pretty early on. So you could just pick that part, frankly. And you don't have to go through the whole book if you don't want to. Alright. I hope you enjoyed this little history lesson. And I'll see you again next time. Thank you for watching and good night.